to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Corinthians chapter 9. Paul has taken all of 1 Corinthians up to this point, and he's been teaching them. He's been growing this church up. Church that he was there for about 18 months and growing them up and, and, and ministering to them and, and uh, teaching them the word. Paul, he met with some resistance within the church. He met with some resistance because how these people grew up was anti-biblical. It was anti-Christ, if you will. Everything that they grew up, it was indulging. It was indulgence. It was all um, self-gratifying, flesh-gratifying. Everything that they did, everything that they were brought up to be and to do in that center right there in Corinth was to live for the flesh. And, and that, was the, that was the norm. That was expected of everyone who grew up in that time. And here, all of a sudden, Paul comes into Corinth and he preaches this good news of Jesus Christ. And, and people get saved and people begin to grow in the Lord. But then, as it is with you and I, I mean, isn't it? When you came to know the Lord, wasn't there some adjustment period in your life where the old life that you used to live and now the new life that you, are, that you have now in Christ, to mix those two lives and try to... to to, to mend those together and say, well, wait a minute, I can't continue to do this, but if I'm living for Christ, but, but how do I go about it? How does this change happen? We all understand that. And so it's in that that as we, as we look at our own lives and we, 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 we look at how when we came to know the Lord, that transition period, it's the same thing that Paul is teaching and speaking into the Corinthian church. He's saying, I know that things seem uh, okay to you to do some of these things, but they're not okay. They're not okay. These are things that should not be even spoken of, of a, a believer. And so here's the thing. I want to teach you in this. I want to grow you up in these things. But over the last couple of weeks, Paul has talked about, you know, how some of these people were using, you know, some of their liberties... And, and they were flaunting their liberties, but it was actually causing some younger believers in the church to stumble because they didn't feel the freedom to do the things that some of the older believers were doing. And so Paul's going, don't take your liberty and trample upon the new life of a believer. You know, don't, don't stumble somebody because of the freedom that you have. And it's a lesson that we have to learn even in our own life today. But then, but then Paul addresses something, and it was last week, was one of the hardest messages that I have to teach. It, you know, it, when I look at Scripture, there's a few very hard passages that are, are hard for me to teach. It's one of the reasons why I like to go through the Bible verse by verse. Because this is, chapter 9, the first, ha- the first portion, the first two-thirds, or actually the first four-fifths, if you will, of, of chapter 9, is, is a a place that I probably wouldn't teach if I was just doing topical teachings. Uh, I, I wouldn't probably do it myself because 
I, I don't like to point things out that Paul had to point out in chapter 9. And, and it, I, I, don't, I don't like that. So it's, it's uncomfortable for me. But you know what? If we really are truly going to teach verse by verse through the Bible, it's going to cause us to have to go over those speed bumps, isn't it? It's going to cause us to actually address some of those things that make us feel uncomfortable. And it, it keeps us from shying away from those things. Because how many of us really ever like to do something that's uncomfortable? It's not fun. And so we, we oftentimes will put it off and put it off and put it off. And the next thing you know, you've never done it. Well, see, that's the cool thing about going through the Bible verse by verse. When you go through the Bible verse by verse, you have to talk about everything that the Bible brings up. You have to deal with it. You've got to wrestle through the issues. You've got to go and come to a, an understanding of what is it, Lord, that you're sharing with me? What is it that you're sharing with me in my life? What is it in my life that is, is outside of your will? What is outside of your purpose? And, and so as you and I, as we get into the word, we allow God to do a work as we read verse by verse through the Bible and we allow him to transform us, to make us into the man or the woman that he wants us to be. Because if we pick and choose where we want to read in the Bible, we're making us into the person that we want to be and not the person that God wants us to be. Amen? Does that make sense? All right, so here's the thing. Paul talked about his rights as a minister last week. He says, you know... I have a right for a lot of things, but I've chosen not to do it because I would rather not take from someone. I would rather do what I'm doing now and not be a burden upon the church so that you can never blame me for uh, fleecing your money, fleecing you for money. That's not Paul's heart. My, Paul's heart was, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I have got to preach the gospel and I don't care if I ever get paid for it. It's not, that's not why I do what I do. And so Paul, he lays out his heart. He says, I, I, I will that anything that I ever do in life will cause someone to come to Christ, that they will see Jesus in me. It's a heart that I hope catches on with us. I hope that it catches on with you individually. Even as I prayed here at the beginning of the worship service, we're here collectively, but we're also here individually. It's neat to be in a room with brothers and sisters collectively and go, hey, this is great. We're a family. We're friends. You know, we are family. And, and you know, all my brothers and sisters and me, you know, we're all here. And, and it's neat. But you know what? Isn't it interesting how even in a crowd, you know that you're on your own. You know that that's where God is speaking to you. God can speak to your heart right where you are, even in the middle of a crowd. And, and here's the thing. That's what we want. We want God to change us. Don't ever come into a message. Don't ever come to church going, man, I need to, to go into service because Uncle Ralph really needs to have a message. So I need to get a message for Uncle Ralph because, man, his life is outside of God's will. And so I'm going to go in there to listen for Uncle Ralph. No, 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 no. Forget about Uncle Ralph. Not, don't forget about him, but do your work on you and allow God to do the work on you. Maybe God isn't going to have you talk to Uncle Ralph at all. Maybe he's going to have you live your life before Uncle Ralph. He probably will have you talk to Uncle Ralph, but not in the way and manner in which maybe you came with the purpose of you coming in and listening to a message so that you can go and give, give it to Uncle Ralph. We're here to be changed individually. 
What does this have to do with today? It has everything to do with today. This is a message that speaks to us individually. It talks to us corporately, but it talks to us individually. It talks to us individually. Paul, he, he, he says, you know, I just want to see people saved. I want to live my life in a way that people will be saved. And, and so here's, I'm, I'm going to give you a glimpse into my life right here. Paul gives you and I a little glimpse into his life and how he goes about doing that. Wouldn't it be cool to actually have the Apostle Paul, you know, be able to like come here and say, okay, hey, I know I've been gone for about 2,000 years, but the Lord gave me a respite. You know, he gave me one day. I come in and I'm coming to your church and I'm going to come up and I'm going to tell you something about what made me tick. How it is that I went about my life. How it is that I, that I purposefully put one foot in front of the other on a day-by-day basis. This is what I did. This is how I did it. He says in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? And so run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, you want to know how I run? I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified. Father, I pray that this day you would teach us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 how we might apply these truths to our own life. I pray, God, that you open up our hearts, open up our minds. Lord, we pray. There might be someone in this room right now that has come in here and go, man, I'm just here because it's church. I have to be here. Somebody's drugged me here or or maybe I'm there because everybody expects me to be. I don't know why anybody's here at this church. I don't know the reasons. Lord, you do and they do. I know my reasons for being here, but I I can't speak for anyone else's. But Lord, you know. I pray that no matter what reason has caused us to gather into this place. That we would all come to a place in our life right now at this moment and say, Lord, I'm going to give you this next 30 minutes. I'm going to ask God that you do a work in me. Anoint this guy behind the pulpit. Help him to speak your words something that I can sink my teeth into, something I can hang my hat on, something that I can apply into my life that would really, truly make a difference. Not something that is irrelevant to me, but Lord, something that I really, truly can can take from this place and apply it to my life, to where my life really matters, where my life has a purpose in it. And it has a plan, and I, I, be, I begin to see even a little bit more so why I breathe on a day-by-day basis, why you've given me life. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to all of us today, myself included, oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Paul is not saying here that only one person is going to get to heaven. I mean, because at first reading, you kind of go, wait a minute, does this... Do, does that mean that I've got to like win the race or I don't get to go to heaven? You know, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you may obtain it. Is that what Paul's saying? Be the best fitted athlete. Be the best fitted saint or the best fitted, fitted sheep. Be the best sheep because there's only going to be one that gets there. And so let it be you. How defeating would that be? I mean, we all have people that we know. And, and sometimes we don't know, but we think we know, but we don't really know, right? Where we think, man, that person is so holy and, and is so, so biblically attuned to what the Word of God says. I mean, that person's got everything together and I am so far from ever attaining to where that person is. When in all actuality, if you could really get down and deep into that own person's life when he's on his own or she's on her own, in the dark where no one sees... That's the true value of a man. That's the true value of a person. You've heard that before, haven't you? Your character is who you are in the dark when no one sees. When you, when you see that person maybe on the outside, it seems like they have it all together. We see it every day. Those of you who are on Facebook, right? Everybody on Facebook, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, this is wonderful. And then you look at their own life. But, but if you're a friend of theirs, you go, wait a minute. You're presenting everything being perfect in your life. But I know you personally, your life is a mess. Your life's a mess. Why are you presenting something that you're not? And you know, be careful of looking at everybody's... Be careful of Facebook. Be careful of social media. Social media is not a bad thing in and of itself, but social media can be a bad thing if you take what everybody says there at face value and say, oh, look at how wonderful their life is. My life, this is, this is the danger. My life is never going to be like theirs. My life is not like, oh man, if I could only be as happy as that person is every day. I mean, look at their Facebook posts every day. It's like every day they wake up with sunshine rays in their, in their, in their bedroom. They wake up with it hits, it hits their pillow, they go and they got a bluebird right on the outside of their window, and it's whistling, and and, and it's just wonderful. Everything's wonderful in there, and, and and it's not, it's not, it's not. So be careful of taking what someone say says in social media on social media. Saying basically everything's wonderful. Look at what I get to do. Look at who I am and look what I am. They're trying to build themselves up to be something that they're not. Let's be real. Let's be real. Don't let yourself become burdened or depressed because of what somebody else's life seems to be. Because oftentimes when you look at somebody and you look at them and you think in the church, getting back to where I'm talking about, you look at someone and you go, man, they're so spiritual. Their life might be a mess and you just don't know it. They might know a lot of answers. I know a lot of guys and gals that have gone to Bible college. I know a lot of guys and gals that have gone to cemetery, I mean seminaries that, that, that they are so out of touch spiritually, but man, can they, can they rip you apart when it comes to the Word of God? 
And they use it as a weapon to beat you down because they're disgruntled. But they might have a job in a church. They might have a job in a ministry. And what they write on you know, sites and things like that, you think everything is wonderful. But man, you talk to that person behind the scenes and they're one of the most miserable people you've ever, said and you've ever, ever met in your life. But see, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about it's the most spiritual person that's going to get to heaven. He's the only one that's going to get that crown. He says, hey, when you run the race, we all understand that when, when everyone runs a race, everyone runs, but only one receives the prize. Think about that for a second. It's this picture of you know, a, 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 you know, a marathon or something like that. You know, you, you see a, a, the beginning of a marathon, New York, Boston, whatever marathon, or this marathon that we have down here, you know, down in February, March. When, when is it, Maggie? March? In March. And, and uh, I have to ask Maggie because Maggie runs it. Uh, I've never run on that thing. I haven't even got come close to that place. I'd, I'd be winded just watching the race. But here's the thing. Uh, you see sometimes the picture of of the race that starts and there's all these people that start and typically you're going to find somebody on the front line that you go why are you on the front line you don't belong on the front line you just bought those gym shorts last week didn't you you just you just learned what tennis shoes were last week running shoes and it looks like the the weights that you've been holding up are not barbells, but pizza slices, you know? And, and you don't belong up there. And, and then the, the gun goes off, and off they go. And, and maybe they get somebody out front and they take a picture and, so that they can get on social media and say, hey, I led the race. <laughs> wow. After two steps, you, read, you led the race. How far did you get? Uh, about 40 yards then I was out of breath. Ha, I almost died. I almost died. And, and did, you, did you go more than 40 yards? No, got the shirt though. You know, got the bumper sticker, you know, 26.2, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, is that what it is, 26.2? Uh, so you got this person out front. He's running the race, but he doesn't ever expect to win, right? There's others that just want to get in the race to, to run and and just be there for to better their own time, and that's good too. That's okay. I was just reading uh, on social media last week where some friends of ours uh, that that uh, used to be down here, um, Gus and Carrie Romero. Some of you guys remember Gus and Carrie. They both ran in a, in, I think it was a five or a ten k last week, and 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 Gus wins everything. Gus is I I've, now do not laugh. I've run with Gus before, okay? I, I asked you not to laugh. He couldn't do it. I, I actually jogged with, with Gus before. Uh, Tim and Gus and I used to be, again, use your imagination, but it's true, okay? We were a part of a boot camp down at the YMCA a few years ago. A few years ago. And, and they would always ha- start us off. We had to be down there at like 5 o'clock in the morning. It was horrible. And, and, and he, the guy would always say, you know, uh, his name was, I can't do it. His name, his name was Chris. Um, Quis. 
And, and we used to call him Quist. <laughs> and he had, he'd make us run this big, long lap. And he was like, he's like ex-military or something like that, you know. And, and uh, Gus would take like six steps and he'd be done. I mean, he's got these long strides. And, and you'd, take, you'd keep up with Gus for about the first two steps, you know, and then he's off. And you just see the back of him. And pretty soon you don't see it, you know. He's, he's done. Fifteen minutes later, he's drinking a soda on the way back, you know, whatever. But he runs so well. Well, he won. He always wins his race. But Carrie, on the other hand, his wife, uh, she won for the very first time last week. And, and that's a big thing because Carrie has had a a uh, heart issue. I don't think she had a, a transplant, did she? But she had something radical, a defibrillator. She had something radical. I mean, her heart has stopped a few times and she's almost died a few times. And so um, for her to actually be running these races is, is phenomenal. Well, she won her first race last week. They entered to win. Gus always enters to win. Carrie enters to finish. Carrie won last week. That was a cool thing. And sometimes people run races for that, right? But then there's others that run it to go, hey, I'm going to win this race. I'm going to give it my all. And I think I can do it. I know that the competition is going to be fierce, but I'm going to give everything I can do because I am in it to... All right. I am in it to win it, you two people that helped me out with that. I am in it to win it. I'm in it to win it. And they do. And they run and they go and go. But, but guess what? Only one receives the prize at the end, right? Only one can cross the finish line first. And I, and I know, well, it depends on what age group they are in and you know, what color hair they have because they have first place for blondes and they have first place for brunettes. And, and, they, and the, the, I, whatever, I'm saying the first person to cross the finish line, the ultimate winner of everything. Paul says, everyone who runs a race, they, they all run, but only one is going to receive the prize. He says, so here's what I want you to do. I want your attitude to be as a Christian. That as you run your life, you run in such a way as if you are going to win that race. You live your life in the present and the future so as to obtain a crown. As Paul has said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to have you turn over there. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have somebody also look up Hebrews chapter 12. Somebody look up Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to have you read two verses there. Who, who will do that for me? Hebrews chapter... It's not right now, but it's here in a little bit. Okay, Rick, we'll do it. All right. Hebrews chapter 12 is what he's going to do. We're not going to read that right now, but we'll get to it in a second. All right, so have you made it to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? 2 Corinthians chapter seven, or chapter 4. What did I say? Yes, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Like I say, Paul's saying not only one person receives the crown, not only one person receives the prize. Yes, he was saying in a natural race, in a physical race, only one receives the prize. But he's talking to us spiritually. He's using the, you know, a, a, a race. He's using an athletic event to get into our minds that, hey, we are called to run a race because at the end, we're going to receive crowns as we do. Somebody read out loud, very loud, so that we can all hear 2 Corinthians chapter 4 or 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 
Someone. Okay, there's a couple of things that he just said right there, wasn't there? What is it that he is going to receive? What's the reward? A what? A crown of righteousness, right? He's going to receive a crown of righteousness. Who's going to receive it? Paul. Who else is, what according to this verse, who else is going to receive the same exact crown? Someone say it out loud. All who loved his appearing. His appearing. Everyone who loves is appearing are going to receive a crown. So it's not like God only has just like a few select crowns in heaven that those who win the race are going to get. You know, only one. He, no, he, he's got a stockpile full of them that he's going to give to everyone who finishes their race well. Anyone who finishes their race well. You see, because here's the thing. I know I say that a lot, but... It just makes sense in what I teach. Here is the thing. When we run, we run not for ourselves, but for the Lord. We run, and when we finish, we'll get a crown. We run not simply for the crown, but that the crown that will be awarded to us, we can give back to the Lord. God's called us, Paul has called us, God's called us through Paul. He's saying, I want you to run to get a crown. By the way, when you get that crown, man, in heaven you're going to get a crown. You ever thought about what are we going to do with those crowns in heaven? Huh? We're going to... Casting crowns, Ross says. Where are we, we going to cast our crowns? The throne of God. Amen. Ross. Amen. We're going to cast our thrones that God has given to us. You did well. Welcome. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Here's your crown. And you put this crown upon your head and you take it and you go, I'm not worthy of this crown. Really? You're giving me a crown? You know how weak I was. You know, I mean, we know how weak we are, aren't we? We know how frail we are we know how many times we fail and to actually have God perfect he's perfect in all of his ways we just sang it didn't we he perfect places a crown upon your head because you loved his appearing because you lived your life with the expectancy that you would see him one day you lived your life and you put outside of your life those things that would be contrary to a life lived well for the Lord you put those things out of your life you may have suffered ridicule you may have suffered you know relationships that were broken because of your walk with the Lord you may have suffered, you know, uh, being ostracized or being excluded from some friendships because you wouldn't go to certain places or certain things or enter into certain dialogues or, or, or whatever it might be with friends. They, they stopped including you in those things because you're the goody two-shoes. And it's hurt your heart. 
And it hurts because you love those people and you want to be included with them. You just don't want them to be walking down that road. And the next thing you know, you're going, man, is it worth it? Gang, is, is following Christ worth it? I mean, you can, I know what you're going to say. Corporately, we're all going to say yes. But individually, what do you say? Seriously, what do you say? I'm not asking you to say it out loud because I'm afraid if that we're honest, some of us might go, I haven't yet figured that out. In fact, I'm struggling with that even as we were even bringing it up. I don't know that Christ is worth it. I don't know that it is. There are so many things here on this earth that are drawing my attention to it. That I'm going to miss out on if I follow the Lord. You're going to cross that road one day if you haven't already. And know that it's not just going to be one road. There's going to be many roads in your life that you're going to have to cross that has that decision on it. And the decision is, is Christ worth more to you than that road right there that you're being tempted to walk on? And only you can answer that question. I know what we we would all say collectively in this room because... That's what we're supposed to say. But being honest, is that really the road that you would rather travel? We will take these crowns that we've lived for the Lord. Perfect God placing a crown upon our head. You go, what are we going to do with those crowns? As as Ross just said, we're going to take our crowns off. We are not worthy of these crowns. These are not not worthy. I am not worthy, Lord. This crown is for you. I didn't do this for a crown, Lord. I did this for you. You deserve this crown. And we'll cast our throne. Look at here's what it says. Let me let me read it to you real quick. It's in Revelation chapter four. Here's what it says. It says this. Revelation chapter four. It says uh Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever Oh, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their, thro- their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your glory or, and by your will, they, were, they exist and were created. Cast our thrones before the Lord for he is worthy. He's worthy. You know what's cool about this? It says, it says going back into, into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this. Everyone who competes, verse 25, anyone, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. What, Paul's do, what is Paul doing here? He's differentiating between, between two groups, right? What are the two groups that Paul is differentiating between? One is mortal and one is immortal. That's right. One is mortal and one's immortal. Paul is using an illustration of an athlete. And understanding that the crown that he would receive if he wins the race back in these days, and we're going to talk about those games that they played here in just a second, but I'm not going to get too much into it because of lack of time, but... Uh, 
they do it for, an imp- for, for a perishable crown. You know that, that they would, anybody, uh, I'm going to get into it right now, I guess. Uh, the games that were held in Corinth, they were called the Isthmus Games. Isthmus Games. And, and these games were secondary to the Olympic Games, but they were very, very well popular back in this day. All the way back in this time. And, and they had competitions that they would compete in foot races, they'd compete in boxing, they'd compete in wrestling, in discus, in javelin, in long jump, in chariot racing, in poetry, uh, in, in singing. Yeah, they had the X Factor back then. The voice, whatever. Poetry? I, I don't know, I, just me, in my own brain, I'm thinking, wow, Olympic sport, poetry. And here we have, for the gold or silver medal right now, we've got Robert Frost matched up against William Shakespeare. <laughs> Robert, you're up. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. <laughs> Sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could. William! Frailty, boy, name is woman. This above all, to thine own self be true. Robert! Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Bravo! <laughs> Can you do better, Bill? <laughs> to be or not to be, that is the question. Gold medal! You know, think about it. I mean, poetry. Poetry. An Olympic sport. They did it for a perishable crown. You know what they did this for? They did it for a wreath. You know how they did this? Ten months before the game started, they brought everybody into Corinth, and there they had to be and train. They had to train in Corinth. From all over the world, they came into Corinth that they were going to participate in the Isthmus Games. They all had to come in ten months in advance, and they all trained in the same location. And when they did participate, They spent 10 months away from family, training and training and training, and then they win. I mean, today they get a gold medal. Is it actually gold? I I didn't do that research. That thought just came through my head right now. Is it an actual gold medal? Is it actual gold? I thought it was like a gold-plated, but it might be gold. Is it all totally gold? Totally silver? Okay, totally bronze. That's good. That's neat. That's a long time to train for gold, silver, or bronze. But, but these guys, they weren't getting, you know what they were getting? A laurel wreath. Leaves around their head. A leaf hat. They were getting a leaf sweatband. Or they were given an olive branch. And you know what would happen if they actually did this? You know what they would do? When they went back to their own cities, 
Because their cities, their, their towns, their countries were so proud of them, do you know what they would do? They'd actually break open, they'd bore open a hole in the wall of the city so that that winner of the Isthmus Games could walk through the wall of a city. Thus, this idea that as this walk through, the, we don't need walls to protect our city because we have an Isthmus winner here who will protect us. And after he was in, they patched the wall back up real quick. But it, you know, here's the thing. He got a, a, a leaf sweatband. That's the water for. Paul goes, that's what they do it for. It's, a, it's perishable. Guess what? It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to dry up and, and crinkle up. It's not going to be good. For the, I mean, Grandma will stick it in a book. And, you know, and you'll be able to always... It's between wax paper. But we don't do it for that. We do it for an imperishable crown. The crown, though. There's a couple of words in the Bible for crown. There's one crown called diadem. A diadem. Bring forth thy royal diadems and crown him Lord of all. The diadem is a, is a, is a crown for a king. It's a crown for a king. It's, it's solely for royalty. But there's another crown in here. Some of you guys know what the name of this crown is. And some of you don't know what the name of this crown is. And when you learn the name of this crown, if you're anything like me, when I heard the name of this crown, I kind of took a quick breath. <gasps> really? It shocked me. And yet it made so much sense. The name of this crown. Do you know what Paul says? They, everyone who complete, competes for the prizes temperate in all things. Now they do it to, imp- to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. We do it for an imperishable Stephanos. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it's a crown of Stephen. <laughs> Who's Stephen? Oh, we know who Stephen is. We know back in Acts chapter 7 where he stood boldly before the people who had crucified Christ and he began to present the gospel to them. And, and they were listening to him for a while, but then he started seeing that their necks were starting to get a little tough and they were starting to feel a little lectured at because they were the priests of the day. They were the academic scholars of that day. And here this uneducated man is teaching us about our Old Testament, our Torah, <laughs> Who do you think we are? Don't you understand? We've spent our whole life doing this. Who do you think you are? And when he began to notice and he began to sense that they began to close their ears to what he said, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. He, you know what he said there? Hey, would you kill me? Because I am I'm going to die right now. But it didn't stop him. He goes, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. How many of the prophets did you not kill? Every prophet that God sent to you, you killed him. You killed him. Who? You, he sent you his own son and you killed him. And at this, they closed their ears and they ripped their clothes and they gnashed at him into their teeth. I still don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't know. That must have been a thing back then. It meant something. 
Because the Bible specifies, they gnashed at him with their teeth. And they ran at him. And they picked up stones and they began to throw them at Stephen. And they began to blunt force. Boom, boom, boom. And Stephen starts getting hit by these large stones. I don't know if you've ever been hit by a rock, but man, it hurts. I got in a rock fight with my brother who was like a pitcher when I was like eight. And he was like 11. And he was good. He was like an all-star pitcher. And I didn't even know how to play baseball. I got in a rock fight. Stupid thing to do. Don't ever get in a gunfight with a gunfighter if you don't even know what a gun does. I did the same with a rock. And I'm fighting Dan, my brother, with a rock. And I, you don't think of things back in then, but I picked my head up behind a rock wall or behind a brick wall when he tossed one at me in his fastball mentality and it hit me right between the eyes. And I screamed and I cried. And he ran over and he says, Oh, don't tell mom. <laughs> okay, notice I said it was between my eyes, right? The thing grew up like two inches outside of my head. I have this big royal diadem on my head. Um, I got this big thing, crowner on my head. And it's like sitting here like this. I, I'm walking cross-eyed because I can't look straight because there's this big old monstrosity in front of me. He's going, just don't tell mom. She'll kill me. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, what? You think mom's not going to notice that? That was a rock about this big. Paul was getting stones. I mean hand-sized stones with men, full-grown men. Boom! You called me an uncircumcised heart and ears. You do something. You do you think you are? In anger and hatred. And boom! Boom! As hard as they can. And they're hitting Stephen as hard as they can. And he is taking these blunts to his head, no doubt. To his legs and his hip and his ribs might try to cover the head back, spine, side whatever it is and what does he do? He, 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 he's going to die he knows he's going to die he's, he gets up and he, he, he says Father for, forgive them they don't know what they're doing here they don't know what they're doing here oh he learned well from his Lord didn't he? For on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And here Stephen is, the first martyr of the church. Stephanos. He's creating a crown that we will all get one day at the loving of God's appearing. But here's the thing. He sits there and he goes, Father, please do not hold this charge against them. Who do you think you're talking to? God is our Father. God, we know who God is. And they throw all the more. And he goes, Look. I see heaven opening. I see heaven open. And I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. Do you know that that's the only time we ever see Jesus standing in heaven? I I really, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this because there's certain things I've heard a long time ago that if you become dogmatic on certain things, that's just grown-up puppyism. Dogmatism is just grown-up puppyism sometimes. Not dogmatic on this point, but that Jesus is standing in heaven. 
He's looking down proudly at his child that is willing to die for his cause. And he's standing there going, I'm welcoming you home. You're coming home right now. Look, I see heaven open. I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father right now. Stop! Boom, 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 boom. And they just pelt him to a point where he's dead. He's dead. They cover him with stones. The Stephanos crown is the imperishable crown. The imperishable crown. Wow. It's the crown, guys, that we're going for. Not that we want to sport around a crown in heaven, because we're not going to do that. We're going to give it right back to the Lord. But would it not be awesome to be able to have a crown to throw, to toss before the throne? You don't want one of those little beanies with a little propeller on top, okay? You want a crown. You want a crown to throw at the feet of the Lord. You are worthy, O Lord. You are worthy. And it says, in order to get that crown, those athletes, they're temperate in all things. That means that 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 word temperate is a Greek word. It's a very long Greek word. I don't even want to try to, you know, pronounce it. Egkratusomai. Does that mean anything to anybody? But the Greek word literally means this. Here's what it means. It means self-controlled. It means to be sober, to refrain, or to be of a sound mind. And so here he's saying everyone who competes for the prize, is he has self-control. He is sober. He refrains from things on the outside so that he can be ready to be at the top of his game when time has come. When time has come. If you want to be a great athlete, you don't become a great athlete by sitting on the couch, watching games, eating nachos. You become a great athlete. You become a great watching fan, but you don't become a great athlete. You don't become a... You know, one of the top in in your sport, a Steph Curry, a LeBron James, a you know Tom Brady. I'm sorry that I used Tom Brady's name in here, but the guy's a phenomenal quarterback. Might come up with another guy, you know. These guys are are at the top of their game. They didn't get that way by sitting on a couch eating nachos and watching other people do things. They exercise self control. They put the work in to become the best, and that's what Paul's saying. As a Christian, if that's what they're doing in the world to to obtain a perishable crown, how much more as we as Christians should we not also be temperate, sober-minded, exercise self-control to become the best man, the best woman, the best Christian that we can possibly present ourselves unto the Father because he's worthy. They get a, a, an imperishable crown. We get, or if they get a perishable crown, we get an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus. He says, verse 26, I've got to finish and, and, and hurry. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. What he's saying there, I, I, I have certainty when I run. I am actually running for a true prize. I'm actually running for a goal. I'm running for Christ. 
we get mixed up in our life. And one of the biggest problems that we have in our life as Christians is that we fail to kick the old man down every morning when we wake up. And we fail to kick him down or kick her down and keep her in the grave throughout the day. What ends up happening is that we, we begin to be uh, uh, divided as we live our life on a day-by-day basis because temptations come to us out of the blue sometimes. We don't expect them at times. And it's at that time that we are forced to make a decision. And I took the one less traveled. And it's made all the difference, as Robert Frost said. Take the one less traveled. The one less traveled is the one that follows Christ. The thing is, is that when we're presented with those temptations, we now are divided. Do I want to follow the Lord? Do I want to follow me? It's awful easy to just succumb to our flesh very, very quickly. And the problem that we have in our life is that we forget who we're fighting for. Who are we living for? Who are we fighting for? Is it us? If it's us, and you look in a mirror and you say every day, you know, it's about the Lord, but in your eyes, looking at yourself, you know that that's a lie. I'm not living for Christ. I'm living for the guy right there. That's who I'm living for. I'm living for me. I'm living for me. It's about me. It's about my happiness. Look at everybody else. Look at how happy they are. They don't even love the Lord. Look at how wealthy they are. Look at how much money they have. Look at what they got. Look at all the land they have. Look at all the material items that they have. And they don't even love God. Why is it that when I love the Lord, I don't get any of that stuff and they get all that stuff? Why, why, why? Well, hey, all you need to do is go back into Psalm 73 and you find out that the psalmist there has the same issue as you do. And he says, Oh, Lord, when I looked upon them and I saw all these things that they had, I looked at them and I said, Look at these things. They're not following you. They're not doing anything for you. He says, and then I looked at all of the things that they did. Let me just read it real quick, just real quick. He says this. The psalmist says, their waters, a full cup, They say, how does God know? There's no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued like other men. Pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have so much. They have more than their heart could ever wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walks against the earth. They even curse you, Lord. He says, surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I don't get any of that stuff. Those guys get everything. I don't get anything. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. It's meaning nothing. Have you ever felt that way? That you're serving the Lord for nothing because you don't see the material benefit of it? Because you don't see the, 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 the here and the now benefit of something that you have given up for Christ? You might even justify it and say, look, other Christians are doing it. I don't give a hill of beans whether other Christians are doing it. If it's a sin to you, stay away from it. If God has called you to stay away from something, stay away from it. Because you are following the Lord. You're not following them, you're following Christ. That's what Paul's saying. I am, I'm, not, I'm not fighting, I'm not running with uncertainty. I know who I'm running for. 
I'm running for Christ. I'm not looking around. The person who loses the, 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 the sprint, the hundred yard dash, is the one that keeps doing this, looking at all of the people who are running with him. Well, I got dizzy right there. When you start looking at your opponents and that's all you're looking at and you stop looking at the finish line, you're going to lose the race. And that's what the psalmist in 70, Psalm 73 says. I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued and I've been chastened every morning. If I had said, hey, I'll speak thus. Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand all of these things, Lord, it was too painful for me. This guy is jealous because of the bounty that others have in the world and he doesn't have. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Has that been you? You've got to listen to the rest, of his the rest of his story here. He says, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. When I went into the sanctuary of God... Then I understood their end. Surely you've set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they're brought down to desolation in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus, my heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. And I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, Lord, here's what I've learned. I am continually with you. You hold me. Think about this. He begins to see God for who he is. I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you receive me to glory. Whom I have in heaven, but you, whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My heart, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's good for me to draw near to God. Here's what he, he understood. When he saw and was jealous of the world, he looked to the Lord and there he found what purpose was really all about. That's why he exercised self-control. That's why Paul lived his life. He's going, I don't want to look at the world around me to find out what they have. I want to look to Christ to see what he has. I want to look to Christ and see what he has in store for me. I want to look to Christ. He says, I run thus not with uncertainty. I know who I'm running for. Do you know, Christian, in this room who you're running for? Maybe you're not a Christian in this room. Who are you running for? You're running for self? You're running for someone else? It's futile, man. You've got to run to Christ. That's where you're going to find truth. That's where you're going to find real reason to get up in the morning. He says, thus I fight not as one who beats the air. He's not shadow boxing. You ever see you know, a boxer punching the air? Who's he hurting? No one. Paul's saying, I'm not punching nothing. I'm defeating the enemies of darkness because I'm living for the Lord. He goes, here's what I do. I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified. The word disqualified is a Greek word um, uh, adikomos. Adikomos. A-D-O-K-I-M-O-S. Adikomos. And what that literally means is good for nothing. 
I'm good for nothing. I'm disqualified. By the way, this is not speaking about salvation. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, lest when I have preached to others, I myself have lost my salvation. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, you have been disqualified. You have, the word disqualified is a word that talks about how it has, you've, you've ruined your opportunity. You're ruining your opportunity in the way that you're living to be the man, be the woman that Christ has called you to be. Paul makes the point there. He says, when I'll become disqualified, when, when I'm living my life, not for the Lord, but for me, I can't preach to others. I used to have a guy that used to work for us out at, in Redlands, California. My dad had a, an aircraft maintenance and repair shop out there in Redlands Airport since 1955. And he gave it up about three years ago, four years ago, something like that. But um, he's still tinkering around with airplanes. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. But here's the thing. We used to have a guy that worked for us. He came off the mission field. Okay? Good guy? Well, he must have been. He's off the mission field, right? His toolbox, snap-on tools, he had tracks, four spiritual law tracks on his box so that anybody who goes by his box can take a track and learn about who Christ is. Good guy? Missionary? Tracks? That's good, right? His box had pictures on it of scantily clad women all over it. And he had cuss words on things. He had, and, and it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Knock this off. Get that stuff off your box. Hey, man, you can't tell me to do that. If you're not going to take that off, take those tracks off. No way, man. You never know who's going who's gonna to pick one of those things up and receive the Lord. Is that the picture you want to present as a Christian? That and this? That is inconsistent. You have become disqualified. Disqualified. You are not a pre- pre- presenter. You're not a witness for Christ. You're not a Stephanos. You're not getting a Stephanos for this, for a track. On this box, it's a debaucherous box. And this, yes, God can work through anything, but this is not something you're getting rewarded for. Come on, what are you doing? And so here's the thing. That is a very blatant, obvious picture, but the the picture is, is that how we live our lives? We have a track here and there so that people might pick something up in our wake, but really what we live is something that is debaucherous to the world. Paul says, no, uh -uh. I want to live my life in such a way I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself might become disqualified. I might become of not even able to be a part of this race. Just today, uh, we've got a, a situation right now where the Russian Olympic team, some of you know this, right? They're going to be actually judged today whether or not the, the whole Russian Olympic team is going to be disqualified from the, Russian, or from the Rio Olympics. Um, already 67 of their athletes are disqualified because of doping. They're cheating. Should they participate if they're taking drugs that make them better than the others? No. Russia's throwing a fit. Because 
they're about to get kicked out of the Olympics. They're saying it's a conspiracy and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. But here's the thing. They become disqualified because they have done something outside of the will of the, partic- of, of the games that they're participating in. It's the same thing for you and I. The life that we're participating in is the life that God created for you and for me. And to live our life for him. Let's not do something that is going to disqualify us from living the life that he's desired us to live. And, and so, know this. One thing, and I've finished with these last two things. I've had, I had Rick look up one, one verse. I want to um, read two, two passages. I want to say a couple more things, and then, then we're out of here. But here, here's the thing. Our, one thing I know about Paul is that he likes sports. That's the thing I like about Paul. No less than 12 times do we see that Paul references sports. One of the reasons why Paul, I believe, was in Corinth was, number one, he knew that there was going to be a lot of people there. It was a big trade area. There was, right there in Isthmus, there was about a a, a 3.9-mile stretch of land that separated the Ionian Sea from the Aegean Sea, and that was the closest two things that separated. That was was what separated mainland Greece from from, uh, an island, that, that was, was attached to the mainland. But in order to get from the Ionian Sea to the Aegean Sea, they'd have to go through the Mediterranean Sea to get to the Aegean Sea and, and get the goods from the north down into the south or over into the west, from the east to the west. And here's the thing. In order to do that, they'd have to go all the way around this. So what they'd do is they'd go down through this series of canals down here to this place where it was just 3.9 miles, and they would take the things off the boat here, travel it across to the other side, put it on another boat, and keep going. It was cheaper, it was faster, and it was a lot safer to go that way than to actually go all the way around this 8,390-mile, 8, square-mile island. And so they would do that. And so this was a main area of trade. And so Paul went there because it was a main area of trade. It was a bustling commerce center. There was a lot of people. There was a large Jewish community that was sitting there in in Corinth also. But there was also another reason I believe Paul went there. I think Paul went there because he dug the Isthmus Games. I think he liked athletes. I think he loved to watch sports. I I think he'd watch football with me. I think he would. No less than 12 times does he reference athletic events in order to teach us what it means to be a Christian. One of those I'm going to have Rick read here right now. Read it out loud. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Now before we do, before we do, let me just set the stage. Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 12 comes after chapter 11. Chapter 11 is oftentimes affectionately called in the Bible the hall of, not faith or fame, but faith. It's called the hall of fame, faith. Now I'm messing myself up. The hall of faith. Because it talks about all of these people who died in the faith waiting for the promise of Jesus the Messiah. Starting all the way from Adam, all the way through. Uh, it goes all the way through you know, uh, Noah and, and Abel and it talks about you know, uh, Abraham and his wife. It talks about you know, all of these Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all of these people that had died in faith looking forward to the coming of this Messiah that would come on, on, on the scene. And, and it talked about everybody until Christ came. It says, all of these people died waiting for Christ. And they were all sitting there waiting for this day when Christ came on the scene. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts. God having provided something better for us, 
that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So they're there in a stadium, if you will. They're there in a position or in a place waiting for Christ. I believe that they're there right now looking down upon us. If there's like this big stadium in heaven, they're down there, they're up there looking at you and me running our race. You want to talk about the the, the Olympics? This is the heavenly Olympics and we're on the track. You're on the track. You and I are living our life every day, running a race. And this is what Paul, I believe, who was a writer of Hebrews, we're not positive, sure, but I believe Paul was a writer of Hebrews. This is what Paul is saying to you, or the writer of Hebrews is saying to you, that you are surrounded by this, these witnesses. Now, Rick, read it out loud. That's good. That's, that's, that's all. So here's what we got. Therefore, seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What witnesses? Those who died in faith before we have died, right? They're all there. And they're, what are they doing? They're cheering you on. They're cheering me on. Seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us or besets us. It's like putting on ankle weights or doing things that might be legal but slow you down in your walk with the Lord. Remove anything that, that causes you to wander away from the Lord. Anything that might be okay. It's, it's okay. It's proper. It's legal for me to do as a Christian. If that's the thing that is going to hinder you from walking with Christ, set it aside. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. Weights are things that are, you know, they're, they're not, you know, not permitted. They're, they're not uh, illegal. Sin is, but the weights are not. It's like somebody going up to run the 100-yard dash and he has five-pound weights on his, on his ankles. Is he going to win the race? He's going to get up there and they're going to go, you got five-pound weights on your ankles. Yeah, I'm going to run this race. You, you know you're not going to win, right? I mean, these are world-class athletes right here. I know you're a world-class athlete, but <laughs> matched up against very men that are very equal to you, you got five pound weights. You're, you're going to carry around an extra 10 pounds on your legs trying to, you think you're going to win? Well, it's legal. I can do it. Go for it. He comes in last. So what is he going to do? Is he going to cry? I came in last. I just didn't try hard enough. No, you tried every bit you could. What you did is you took something legal, you stuck it on you, thinking that, well, I can do it. It wasn't expedient for you to do. It slowed you down. It ruined your chances to win the race. It's the same thing that happens to us. We might, hey, you might find that it's okay for you to drink alcohol. Okay. But man, if it's going to stumble you, if it's going to ruin your walk with the Lord, stop it. Nothing is that important to keep you from walking the hard, strong walk with the Lord. Lay aside every weight and then, obviously, anything that is illegal and sin that so awfully, so easily ensnares us. What Paul's saying, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, be ready, be prepared, and then look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. There's a tape out there that you're going to have to run through. 
That's Jesus. You run to him. He's the author. He's the finisher of your faith. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Look straight ahead and look to Christ. And he's the author and the finisher of your faith. Who, by the way, he ran this race for you also. Who for the joy that was set before him when he ran his race, he endured, you know, the shame and the sin. He despised the shame. Endured the, 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 he endured the, the cross. He despised the shame. And right now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. He won his race. He, God is never going to, Christ is never going to ask you to do something he himself won't do and has not already done for you. And Paul says, I want you to run your race with your eyes fixed on Christ and lay aside the, the legal things and the not legal things and run your race with endurance. Run your race. You and I have got to run our race. And this is how Paul ends his life. I'll read this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I know we read part of it. The last words that we understand that Paul ever wrote. This is his last letter. I don't know if you knew that. This is the last letter that we have of Paul, of what he wrote. What do you think that is important in Paul's eyes? He talks about how Timothy, listen... I want you to preach the word. I want you to be ready in season and out of season. I want you to convince and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and teaching because you know what? There's coming a time in America in 2016, though it doesn't say that here, that is exactly what's going on. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires because they have itching ears. They're going to heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they'll be turned aside to fables. But Timothy, but Timothy, but Christian, but saint in this room, July 24th, 2016 at Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship, but saint in this room, you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions if necessary. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You do what God's called you to do. You run your race. You look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You look there. And then Paul says, because this is my legacy. This is the end of my writing. This is the end of my life. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. My death is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a Stephanos of righteousness, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also all who love disappearing. I've kept the faith. Don't just run to get your picture taken. Don't, get your, don't just run if you're going to be begun in the spirit, don't be perfected by the flesh. Again, Paul was talking about that. If you have a relationship with Christ, nurture it. Work on it. Live by it. Live in it. And don't let anything get between you and the Lord. I went to Bible college and there are many, many, many of my friends that I cried on my face with 
for God to do a work in people's lives, for God to use us, for God to do something, and God did miraculous things. It was awesome. There's a lot of my buddies and a lot of my friends back in college that are, I've just completely walked away from the Lord. Some that have become atheists. One whose name was Mike is now named Diana. He's a woman. Or he's whatever. You got another that went to be a pastor. And now he's called, I'm a drunk ex-pastor. And I do a blog. He was one of my good friends. And he rips down on Christians. He rips down on people who are believers. He ran well at one time. Paul says that in the book of Ephesians, or in the book of Galatians, he goes, hey, listen, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Having begun in the spirit, will you now be perfected by the flesh? Gang, don't ever let something trip you up. This might be the last time you ever hear my voice. Probably not. But, but I, want you, I want you to... To know this. It's worth it. It's worth it. Don't pack in Christ for anything that this world has to offer because there's nothing that this world has to offer that will compare to the glory that will be revealed in you in that day when you see Christ face to face. Gang, don't let it happen. Don't give up. Don't Cast in your faith, man. Don't cast it aside. You live for Christ, man. And in the end, you'll get that crown of Stephanos, man. And you and me and we will cast our thrones together as a body of believers. And we'll be hooting and hollering. We'll be having a great old time with the Lord. And we're going to be casting them before him going, Lord, it's not us. It's you. It's you. It's you. These aren't our crowns. These are yours. We're here because of you. Hoo-hoo! Hoo! Hoo! We did it! You No, you did it. You did it, Lord. These are yours. These are yours. Man, this is a real life, man. This is not games. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And your life is in the balance between one of the two. Man, let's get to heaven. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. God, I just want us to live our life for you. God, I want my life to be yours. I want to live for you. I want to live for you. I care about these brothers and sisters, but God, if I can't live for you, how do I expect others? I pray my life it truly exemplifies everything that you want me to be. And Lord, in those areas, you know my weaknesses. You know the areas that I fail in. Lord, help me to overcome those areas. That I can be an example. That I can be truly a light. God, I pray that same prayer for every single person in this room. Let us be men and women that are passionate for you. And we live our life for you because, Lord, there is nothing in this world worth trading for eternity. Nothing. No relationship. No anything. God, you are the ultimate goal. And so, Lord, may our lives be fixed on you from this day forward and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. thanks for listening so did jesus cause a change in you today or do you need prayer we'd love to hear from you please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3000
941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.